Rivalry Week is among us. College football playoff rankings come out and there are some updates. We'll talk some college football rivalry week history and also about how you can win a free ticket to the Florida State-Florida game this weekend. Let's get into it. And it was BYOG, bring your own guts. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man. I think Notre Dame got it on the Put it on the board for Bama. Country, post free. And Lewis got it on the defenseman. Lewis has got a score. It's picked off. Breaks free. They won't catch him, I don't believe. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! He's going for the corner. He's got it. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis. It's caught. It's caught. It's caught. Oh, is that a good game or what? What's up, everybody? Let's talk college football. Michael Kirkring here hosting, as usual. And let's just get through the easy things first. So, of course, playoff rankings came out last night. And no crazy significant... Well, I guess there was some interesting things that happened. But again, I don't think it matters what they do with these rankings, as I've said. Really has nothing to do on who's going to get the nod at the end of the season. It's just going to come down to what teams have accomplished more. Uh, record-wise or conference championship-wise, and those four teams will get in. So with that in mind, and you, if you've listened to my show before, you know what my shtick and criteria is for how the four teams actually get in versus uh, kind of the whole hype show and the way they make you think they're going to be able to get in. If, if you're new to the show, and I know I have a lot of new listeners today because I uh, was on the Big 3 Roll-Up podcast yesterday talking about this ticket giveaway, which I'll mention here in a little bit on, on this show, But if you're new and you're wondering, what's he talking about, just go back and listen to my episode from last week where I explain in detail basically how the playoff committee actually works and who's going to get selected. Long story short, I've been making the argument, you know, that Alabama's in trouble, and they have been ever since they lost to LSU. Um, And this is regardless of the Tua injury. This doesn't play into my theory whatsoever. But if you just look at the history of what the committee's done, is they've never put an 11-1 team that didn't win their conference in the playoff over a 12-1 conference champ when Ohio State got in in 2016 and Alabama got in in 2017 at 11-1 without conference championships. They did so over a bunch of two-loss conference champions. Um, And I think that's going to always be the case. I don't think it matters who that one-loss conference champion is or what conference they play in. I think if you have the same record as someone else, and at the end of the season, you actually have a better record. You know, 12-1 and one is one more game than 11-1. and one. Not that that's the deciding factor, but I think if you have two one-loss teams, you're always going to give it to the team that has a conference championship over the team that doesn't, if you have two teams that where that's the case, where one has the conference title and one doesn't. Now, if they both have a conference championship, this is where the debate actually gets interesting to me. To me, this is where the committee, and again, this is proof that they've shown, but when two teams both have a conference championship and they're committing or competing for that fourth spot, that's when you actually see them dive into resume and start to think about, okay, well, whose loss was worse? You know, best example was last year. I know the committee pretended that Georgia was involved in the discussion, but they weren't. I think that last year it was all coming down to Oklahoma and Ohio State for that fourth spot, right? We had our three unbeatens, 
in Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. So they were guaranteed in because that's the other thing the committee does. They always put an undefeated team in. They'll never leave an undefeated team out from the Power Five, regardless of how close their games were all year, right? See Florida State 2014, regardless of how bad their schedule is. See Clemson this year, right? That The undefeated teams are getting in no matter what, no matter who's better than them, no matter what we actually think about them, the undefeated teams get in. No-brainer. Most people won't debate that. They agree on me with that one, that that's what the committee does. But the second point is where some people are a little confused. And it's because when the one-loss teams that didn't win their conference got in the playoff, a lot of people that don't pay nearly as attention as I do because they have lives and they're not as nerdy as me, they just look at it as like, oh, it's a a one-loss team can get in the playoff without a conference title. Okay, that's a thing now. And that is a thing. That is totally possible. But it's not possible when there's other one-loss teams that have accomplished more than you. And what I mean accomplished, I mean on paper, as in they have a conference title and you don't. And then, so going back to last year, where we had our three spots sealed, and then we had Ohio State, one-loss Big Ten champion, and Oklahoma, a one-loss Big 12 champion. That was really the two teams that the committee was arguing over for that fourth spot. They pretend Georgia's in the discussion, so on TV it's a little more interesting, right? They can keep more Southern fans interested in that race and also help create the illusion that it has nothing to do with records and conference champions, that it's really about eye tests and resume, and that if they wanted to, they could have put Georgia in over both those teams. Obviously, they have the power to, I I think, but they've proven that they will never make a decision like that. So I wasn't worried about that last year. I knew it was going to be Ohio State or Oklahoma. Now, given that it was between Ohio State and Oklahoma, when you actually break down the resumes, the reason Oklahoma got the nod, rightfully so, over Ohio State is because, okay, they each had one loss. And if you broke down those losses, Oklahoma lost on a last-second field goal to their rival Texas, a Texas team that finished 10-3, and won the Sugar Bowl, over Georgia, mind you. And Ohio State's loss was like a 30-point loss on the road to Purdue or something like that. I don't know if it was quite 30 points, but they basically got spanked by Purdue, a team that maybe finished 6-6 six and six and barely made a bowl, or maybe they didn't. I don't even remember. But they didn't go above 500 unless it was in a bowl win. So that's a way worse loss. Also, Oklahoma avenged that loss by beating that 10-win Texas team in the Big 12 championship. So when you have these two teams that are both finishing 12-1, and both have a conference championship, okay, now we dive into the resume and examine the fact that, okay, this loss is worse than this loss, and this is how we should go forward. So that's why Oklahoma got in last year. And then, yes, I know, don't tweet this at me, I understand that in the final rankings, they had... Georgia at five and Ohio State at six, and that was their way of saying, yeah, we we actually didn't have Ohio State in the discussion. It was really Georgia and Oklahoma. That's just the committee toying with us afterwards because it it doesn't matter who's at five and six. Five and six are going to those same bowl games they would be in regardless if they're flip-flopped, right? So that's how they played to the illusion that that's what was going to happen. And I think the same thing will happen this year. I really think it's going to come down to Oklahoma and Utah assuming they go 12-1 and and win their conference championships, I think it's going to come down to those teams making the playoff. But, of course, the committee is going to pretend when that happens that Alabama's in that conversation. So they're going to make this illusion that it's Alabama, Oklahoma, and Utah, given that those three teams went out and you have a 12-1 and Oklahoma Big 12 champ, a 12-1 and Utah Pac-12 champ, and an 11-1 and Alabama. They're going to act like all three of those teams are in the mix, 
they'll pick one of the conference champions and not Bama, right? And let's say it's Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma would have a slight better argument at that point, especially now that Utah can't get a win over a one-loss Oregon team. And Oregon fell pretty strong in the rankings down to 14, so that's not good for Utah. But they'll pick Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma will get the four seed. Then I guarantee you they will put Alabama five and Utah six. Maybe even Georgia six, right? And uh, if they lose to LSU and uh, and Utah seven, right? That's what they'll do to help create this illusion. Watch, when Georgia loses to LSU by three points or seven points, assuming it's a closer game, they'll even pretend Georgia's in it again. But it's really just going to be the the one-loss conference champions. And, and again, we might not even get that scenario, right? Like Oregon could beat Utah. Pac-12's out of it, right? Um, Oklahoma, Baylor. I mean, honestly, if Oklahoma and Baylor meet as one-loss teams, I think the winner has a really good shot at that fourth spot. Now, where this, I think from watching the the shows last night, I think everyone's starting to agree with me. Now, I've been saying this every year, and I've been saying this all year long, literally the second Alabama lost, I was saying this, no one really agreed with it then, it was all like, no, no, um, Alabama's probably going to be right in it, you know, if their only loss is LSU, they're 11-1, and one. How, how do you leave them out, they're one of the best four teams, and, and and I think some people are only agreeing with me now because of the two injury, and that's their justification, so I guess they're not really agreeing with me, but honestly, Alabama has no shot at this thing unless they got to beat Auburn by a, a minimum of 21 to 24 points, minimum. They have to look like there's just no drop-off between Tua and Matt Jones. And then if they do that, they'll actually maybe be in the discussion. I still think the one-loss conference champ gets in over them no matter what. I think they beat Auburn 55 to nothing, and the conference champ will still get in over them. And I've explained that in my other podcast. Go listen to it if you're new and you're thinking I'm you know stupid for saying that. There's tons of evidence to suggest that that's true. Go listen to last week's episode. Go watch my recent video I posted on Facebook last week with that episode. I really believe that's the case. And I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. See, I think people get in the argument with me and they're thinking, so you're saying... No, I'm not saying anyone's better or worse. I'm saying this committee has been very consistent with their criteria. And they've been in this situation many times, and they haven't gone with the Alabama, the team that's in Alabama's position right now, right? Even though that team was favor on neutral fields against the teams that got in, even though we all knew, right, like roster-wise, eye test-wise, that that team was better, it didn't matter. So moving on, if we run through these rankings real quick, not that these matter, but here's where the committee has it. They got Ohio State won, which they jumped LSU after the big win over Penn State. And that was a big win, guys. That that Penn State win, to me, is just as big as any win LSU has individually. Maybe the Alabama win for LSU with, with Tua playing is the biggest win of the season. I'll, I'll give LSU that, okay? So it wasn't as big as that win. But it was just as big as any other win that LSU has gotten. Remember, Texas is irrelevant now for LSU, unfortunately, and that's the same for Oklahoma and anyone else that's beaten Texas. We're talking about a five-loss team now. Could be a six-loss team when it's all said and done. So cool, you beat a six-and-six six team. Still better than half the SEC teams that Alabama or LSU has played, for being honest. I'm not hating on the SEC. I've always said it's the best. But there are some realities this year we got to deal with. So that's the case. Now... LSU's win over Florida, I think, is very, very big. And the Florida State-Florida game will play into that. If Florida State's able to, I mean, have a miracle and get the upset, that's going to be bad for LSU. 
because now this two-loss Florida team turns into a three-loss Florida team, and with that ugly loss to a really mediocre, at best, Florida State team, that's going to be bad. I think even if the Florida State-Florida game is close, that's not very good for LSU, right? Florida needs to finish this season strong by thumping Florida State in order to allow LSU to really hold on to that big win. I mean, it's a big win regardless, right? 10-2 and team, 9-3 and team, those are big wins in college football. Even beating a 500 team or a team right above 500, like, those don't just happen in college football, right? You got to show up, you got to play. Anyone can beat anybody. We saw what happened when Oregon went to a 5-5 five and five team, right? They, they lost. And I'm going to get into that in a second because I have a tangent to go on about conference games and how many of them should be played across the board. But run through the rankings, right? So Ohio State, LSU, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, Bama 5, Utah jumps up to 6 because Oregon falls all the way to 14, down 8 spots after their loss to Arizona State. I was watching that one. You guys know my second team is the Ducks. It's actually where I'm alum of. Obviously, Knowles come first, but big Duck fan nowadays. I was watching that game at the bar that my fiance works at, having good food, and just, oh, God, that was frustrating. But they didn't show up, and Herm Edwards had the uh, Sun Devils playing well, so they get that win over my Ducks. Minnesota's at 8. I think that's important. Baylor's at 9. That's kind of important. Penn State only drops to 10, even though they kind of got demolished by Ohio State. If you watch that game, the only reason this game got close score-wise was because Ohio State had like two fumbles in a row that immediately turned into Penn State scores. For the most part, Penn, Ohio State was shutting down the Penn State offense and I think Penn State's a good team because I also think Minnesota is a good team. Minnesota isn't like 2015 Iowa or 2017 Wisconsin, right, playing a really mediocre Big Ten schedule getting in. I know early on, if you look at Minnesota's schedule, it looks like that. But this team is ascending a very important factor in college football going down the stretch. Their quarterback is good. He's a good college quarterback. They have legitimate play-making receivers. The line gives them time. They run block. They've got decent running backs. And their defense plays very disciplined and sound. And they've got some athletes in the defensive backfield that make legit interceptions as in plays on the ball. Not though the ball gets right thrown to them. They make plays on the ball in coverage. Watch the Penn State game and watch the Iowa game. Even though Minnesota lost that Iowa game, the DBs were making some plays in both of those games. Again, not against great quarterbacks. I get you know they're not picking up. We don't know what it's going to be like against a Joe Burrow, you know, or a Tua, or you know, a Justin Fields. But against pretty good competition, they're faring out pretty well. So I think Minnesota's legit, and I don't think Penn State's loss to them is some terrible loss for Penn State. I honestly think Penn State's loss to Ohio State was worse just because of the way they looked, and maybe Ohio State's just that good, but. Who knows? All right, so moving down, then you got you finally get the two loss squads, right? Penn State at 10, leading the two loss teams, and then Florida, 11, Wisconsin, 12, Michigan, 13. Oregon falls down to 14 with Auburn at 15. Now, I didn't hear much controversy about this last night, but and I know that Oregon has one more win than Auburn and not as many losses, but Auburn is sitting under Oregon, even though they beat Oregon. And I also don't agree with Notre Dame being below Oregon and Auburn at 16. I think Notre Dame should be right in the middle of that two-loss pack. Maybe they can be at the bottom of it or just above Oregon would make sense to me. But, I mean, if you're looking at Notre Dame, their only losses was a very, very close loss to Georgia. 
who's the number four team in November, the number four team. And their other loss was to Michigan. And yes, that was a bad loss score-wise, but that game was crazy rainy. Weather was terrible. And Michigan is ascending. So I think Notre Dame should go from 16 to 14 right under Michigan. I think they've proven more than Oregon this year and a little more than Auburn too. So, I mean, that's just where I'd have them. Again, these rankings don't matter, but that's, that's where I would have them. Uh, Virginia Tech gets ranked this week, 24. Saw that one coming. And they are 8-3. and three. And they're playing Virginia, Virginia, right? The Woo, the Wahoos, whatever they call them, at um, and that's for the division championship, right? So the winner of that game, if it's Virginia Tech, they'll stay ranked and move up. If it's Virginia, I'm sure they'll get ranked after that victory. The winner of that game will be nine and three going to the ACC championship game against Clemson, and that might be Clemson's biggest test of the year which is why it sets up for a potential maybe upset just because it's the biggest game Clemson's played so far. Again, they'll be up for it too probably. But if the team they're playing isn't ranked in the top 10, maybe Clemson goes in that game still thinking we got this it's on the ropes where the other team, you know, being 9 and 3, the chance to get 10 wins, chance to win the, S- the ACC, maybe they rise up to the occasion and and get it done. We'll see. That that's down the road. But anyway, that's where I'd have them. So again, I think that Utah controls its own destiny from the sense that if they win out, they'll be right there in the conversation debated between one other team, and that team will not be Bama. Now, where things get really interesting is if Georgia beats LSU. This is where we've never been in this situation, so I can't base this one off of history completely, but if that's the case, you'll have a 12-1 Georgia SEC champion so if any SEC team gets in, now that they would all have three losses, you know, the top three of them, it has to go to Georgia first because they are 12-1 and one with the SEC championship over LSU. Obviously, LSU would be ranked second in that, not playoff-wise, but SEC-wise because they beat Bama and then Bama third and then, and then probably Florida and so on, right? So that, that would be the case. Clemson goes undefeated. They're obviously getting in. Ohio State goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten. They're obviously getting in. But the scenario, and I've done a bunch of playoff scenarios before, but this is the one that's very, very tricky to me. Let's say that Clemson's undefeated, they're in, okay? So we got a 13-0 Clemson, and then we have Georgia beat LSU. So Georgia is the 12-1 SEC champ, probably the best 12-1 team at that point, and LSU's sitting there at 12 and 1 but without a conference champion right and then let's say that same day ohio state loses to minnesota and now they are both 12 and 1 one of them is a big 10 champion and one of them is not now i've heard some really really weird arguments about this scenario I've literally heard that in this scenario, it would be Clemson, Ohio State, LSU are the guaranteed ones, and then Georgia or Minnesota fight for four, which is ridiculous to me. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that makes no sense. If you if LSU is being brought in the playoff in that scenario, Georgia as a 12-1 conference champion that beat them in that conference title game has to come in with them. There's no way to 
only bring in LSU. I think you could bring Georgia and leave at LSU potentially, but there's no way to bring in LSU without also bringing in Georgia. No way in hell that can happen. Same with the Big Ten. And that's why this scenario gets crazy interesting. If Ohio State is going to be make the playoff with a Big Ten championship game loss, and it's to Minnesota who then finishes 12-1, and you are not bringing Ohio State into that playoff without Minnesota. No way that could happen. And I don't even feel like I should need to explain that. If you think that that makes sense, that Minnesota beats Ohio State, goes 12-1, and wins the Big Ten, Ohio State goes 12-1, and loses the Big Ten, that Ohio State would make a playoff and that Minnesota wouldn't. That's just outrageous. And that's why this scenario is crazy because Clemson's in, obviously, 13-0, and then Georgia's got to be in, 12-1 SEC champ. Minnesota's got to be in, 12-1 Big Ten champ. Who do you give that fourth spot to? Now, everybody's saying, oh, is it going to LSU or Ohio State would come down to the one of the biggest arguments of all time. I honestly think the committee would say, you know what? No, Oklahoma's in or Utah's in because that those two teams could potentially, like I've said, be 12-1 and one with conference championships too. And I think the easiest thing for the committee in that scenario would be to just go, the four con- we got a bunch of 12-1 and one teams. We're just going to let 12-1 and one with conference champions get in. And sorry, Ohio State and LSU, two of the best teams all season long, you let it slip at the end. Because what is it? Who cares if you're the best team all season long? By the end of the season, we'd have a bunch of 12 and 1 teams, and uh, teams like Minnesota and Georgia would have became just as good as LSU or Ohio State down the stretch and then have those head to heads. So, like I said, I've literally heard people say that in this scenario, obviously Clemson's in. And that LSU and Ohio State are still automatically in. And then they take Georgia and leave out Minnesota. You guys are crazy. There's no, like, there would literally be riots to the scale of the 2016 election throughout cities if that happened. At least in Minneapolis. I mean, that, and that would be, honestly be more warranted than those 2016 elections. Because that would, there would be a reason to be upset. Something actual crazy injustice would have occurred. And it would make sense to riot in the streets if that scenario unfolded and Minnesota was left out. Now, if you leave out Minnesota and Ohio State and you like take Utah and Oklahoma, I wouldn't agree with that. But I think that's more, you can make an argument for that better than bringing in Ohio State and leaving out Minnesota. The 12, you know, this isn't like 2016, right? There was controversy then when Penn State was left out, right? Because they beat Ohio State. But at least that year, Penn State went 11-2, and had the second loss. Ohio State was 11-1, and had a great resume. And like I've said, the, the committee's never put a two-loss team above a one-loss team. And they started that precedent that year. Because that year, I honestly thought Penn State deserved it. I was like, if you're going between Ohio State and Penn State, I mean, Penn State won the conference championship and head-to-head. Nope, they still went with Ohio State. So... And people bring that scenario up like it's relatable to the one I just explained with Minnesota-Ohio State. It's not in any way because they both have the exact same record. Only Minnesota would have just beaten Ohio State, not in the middle of the season like Penn State did in 2016. Just then they would have just beaten them. So I'm not saying Ohio State would have to be left out, and it depends on what's going on in the other, other games. But the idea that Ohio State could somehow still make the playoff without Minnesota, that's just outrageous. That would never happen. Just like if Georgia beats LSU, 
there's I don't care what's going on in the other games. There's no weird scenario where LSU makes the playoff without Georgia coming in with them. And that's why I think in this scenario I lined up where LSU and Ohio State both lose, here's what's also weird. Let's say they do, let's say Oklahoma and Baylor somehow end up with two losses each, right? Or uh, same thing with, with the Pac-12, Oregon wins the Pac-12. So it does come down to LSU and, uh, and Ohio State. Or even if you do have other one-loss conference champs, like an Oklahoma or Utah or whoever, people still think it's going to come down to Ohio State and LSU would have to get that fourth spot. But I think the committee's hands are tied there. Because how do you take one of them without the other? Right? How do you? They both lose their conference title game at the very end of the season. They've both been clearly the best two teams all season long. And you're going to say one of them's allowed in losing the conference title game to a good opponent, but the other one's not? I think, again, it's easier for them to just say, sorry, you're both out, and we'll take the one-loss Oklahoma or Baylor, or the one-loss Utah, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's a crazy scenario. That That's the scenario I'm hoping for. That's And if you're, an, let's say you're an eight-team playoff fan, I think you need that scenario too. If you're a, a fan of the eight-team playoff, which I've been on the fence about, I'm kind of coming around to it for bowl game reasons, but if that's what you think, then I think you want that scenario because that's going to get us to an eight-team playoff faster than anything, right? Is that scenario unfolding? Okay, done talking about the playoff and rankings and all that stuff. Let's talk about some other things. So a lot of people think Georgia doesn't have a chance against, LSU. And that might be true, but the reasons that people are suggesting it don't make sense to me. The main reasons are yeah, the offense and the sloppiness, you know, that the way they beat Auburn wasn't impressive and the way they beat Texas A&M wasn't impressive. And I think that's just because Georgia is dealing with an actual hard schedule compared to a lot of other SEC teams. And, and a lot of SEC teams play the hard schedule. SEC is one of the best conference, but I really think there's a difference between playing eight conference games and playing nine there just is and to to deny that is ridiculous georgia is playing kind of the equivalent of nine conference games especially if you compare them to alabama because their one of their out of conference games this year was notre dame a really good football team a team ranked number 16 right now in, in the polls all the way late in november so that's a good football team. Like that's like playing another SEC team, like playing another Auburn or you know playing another Alabama or you know these teams. And then because of the way their schedule set up, they didn't get to play that cupcake FCS game right now, right? They had to play those. They played two of those teams early on, and instead of going from Auburn to FCS game and then Georgia Tech, they had to go Auburn, Texas A&M, and now Georgia Tech. I mean, Georgia's stretch here at the very end has been hard from the standpoint that, you know, it's harder to play a big stretch against decent teams than it is to play a three-game stretch where two teams are bad and the one in the middle is like a really good team, like a world beater, right? That That's why I think Alabama's schedule this year is absolutely pathetic. I understand that they played LSU, and LSU happens to be probably the best team in the country. That one game, I don't care how good that team is, that doesn't make up for the fact that they had three absolute bi-week cupcake, cupcake games, right? New Mexico State, Southern Miss, and Western Carolina. Duke wasn't good either. That's who they opened with, but the Duke game's fine with me. 
right? That's a that's a right under 500, maybe he's going to finish 500 ACC school. It's a power five school. Who cares? I'm not blaming you for scheduling Duke. I'm fine with you scheduling Duke. But the fact that you have those other three games with Duke and a down SEC West, right? We've talked about how bad Tennessee is this year. We've talked about how bad Arkansas, geez, how bad they are. Ole Miss is mediocre, lost to a middling Pac-12 team in Cal, right? So the SEC is not that strong other than the top playoff contending teams, right? So that schedule to me is incredibly easy. And when you get to play Western Carolina right after your quarterback goes down, right? And you got some other players banged up and you get that Western Carolina game before your really tough Iron Bowl, that is a huge advantage. It cannot be explained. And if you're a football player or you used to play, you understand that, right? Football is not basketball. You cannot play a football game more than once a week. That's why in the NFL, all these Thursday night games are really sloppy because when you play football in a short week, your body's just not ready yet. And you haven't put the same strategy, film study, all those things in that you would put in a full week of preparation, right? Football is the ultimate chess match. It's the ultimate physical game, sport. And it's it's not basketball. It's not baseball. You can't play it three times in four days or something. You know, it's not possible. It's That would be terrible. That would be unhealthy. That would be unsafe, right? So imagine if Alabama, right after losing Tua, with some other players banged up, imagine if they had to play even just like an old Miss, right? Or just a conference opponent or another East team, right? A Kentucky, right? Before Auburn instead of Western Carolina. I'm not saying they lose that game or anything, most likely, but it definitely messes their chances up of beating Auburn later, right? If they've got to deal with that opponent, right? It's an opponent they're better than, an opponent they should easily beat, but they still have to prepare the same way. They still got It's an SEC opponent. They got to prepare, move on, then play their rival. That's, that's tougher, Georgia's the example of that, right? They had to go from Auburn to Texas A&M. And that, can you imagine if Georgia Tech was actually good, right? So so Georgia's non-conference games this year were Notre Dame, and then they played Georgia Tech and ACC school every year. And yeah, Georgia Tech's down right now, but they, there's been plenty of years where Georgia Tech is ranked going into that football game or is at least a 500 or above 500 football team, right? And they're a Division One school in the state of Georgia, just like Georgia is. Georgia's a better program, but Georgia Tech's you know, had some really good teams in the past. So they're lucky that Georgia Tech isn't good, but imagine if Georgia Tech was even just a 500 football team this year and then having to play Notre Dame in the non-conference, their SEC slate, you know, obviously Florida, and then get down the stretch to Auburn, Georgia, I mean, sorry, Auburn, Texas A&M, and then Georgia Tech all in a row, right? Look, look what happened to Oregon, right? Oregon plays nine conference games. So before they play their rival, Oregon State this week, who's, who's not good, they're about a 500 football team, Oregon State, but they're not great. Before they play that game, they had to go play another 500 talented team in on the road at Arizona State, and they lost, right? If the Pac-12 only played their eight conference games like everybody else, then Oregon would have played Montana State or Portland State this week, right? Just like Alabama did with a cupcake, and they probably don't lose, and then they probably take care of Oregon State off of what's essentially a bye week, and then they're still in this playoff conversation, and so is Utah, and that Pac-12 championship game is still the two one-loss teams, but that ninth conference game always comes up to bite you, and here's evidence of that. The ACC, and especially the SEC, right, a lot of times are the superior conferences, not so much the ACC, but obviously especially the SEC. Here's what the other conferences, I think this is a huge statistic, we've never seen, right, in the modern era, 
a team go 10 and 0 against their conference. It hasn't happened. Meaning, we've never seen a team win all 9 of their conference regular season games and then also win their conference title game. Some teams have come really close, right? Ohio State in 2013 had an undefeated regular season, lost the conference championship game, right? 2015, Iowa won all nine of their conference games, lost the Big Ten championship game. Okay, we've seen that a couple times. Now, Oregon was going to maybe be the first team to do that this year. Their only loss was to Auburn, and then they were going to potentially run the table against conference opponents, including the championship game, go 12-0 and after a loss to Auburn. That's why I think the committee would have certainly honored that and put them in the playoff if that would have happened, right? We haven't seen anyone in the Big 12 do this either. Every uh, one-loss Big 12 champion in the recent era has had that one loss in conference. So that's a big deal, and that proves that it's harder to do. You don't think that if all these SEC teams had to play one more SEC game a year, that that wouldn't make a difference? You think if Clemson had to play just one more Division I team instead of like Wofford, that that wouldn't make a difference? Especially when you look at where these games are spaced. Alabama's the best option, right? Duke wasn't good this year, but usually Alabama plays a big-time opponent in the kickoff game. Okay, well then they immediately will play their cupcake, right? Then they might have a conference game and then another cupcake or both the cupcakes back to back. That puts them in huge preparation. Like let's say they did get banged up in that kickoff game. Now they're healthy going into conference play. And then down the stretch in conference play, they always have this cupcake before the Iron Bowl, which is huge in allowing players to rest without worrying, right? Taking guys out of the game early. It's basically a bye week, right? That's a big deal. Then look what USC in history's had it done. USC's usually finished up the season by playing Cal, playing Notre Dame, and then playing UCLA, right? Notre Dame usually plays one group of five school every year and then 11, 11 power five teams. And that's why I think, I mean, Notre Dame has been impressive this year other than their two losses, right? Wins over Virginia and Virginia Tech. Virginia and Virginia Tech would be two lost teams going, they'd be 10 and have the chance to go 10 and 2 this year if it wasn't for the fact that they both lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame crushed a ranked Navy team, a Navy team that won last week against Temple. So I respect those schedules. I think playing a bunch of teams that are all going to finish over 500 in your occasional ranked teams, I think that's a much harder schedule than, oh, I've got three top 10 teams on my schedule, but they're spaced out you know, really wide in the season, and I play a bunch of nobodies in between those games. So I think this conference game schedule where everybody should be playing the same, whether it's eight or nine, everybody should be playing the same. The ACC and the SEC need to step up and play nine conference games. It'll also be way better for television, be way, way better for fans. Fans are going to go to a home game against another conference opponent versus Wofford, your Western Carolina. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Stop screwing the season ticket holders over. Right? I've been saying it about these neutral site games, and it seems like they're finally starting to listen. We're seeing more home and homes get scheduled. But the other way to help attendance across stadiums would be to give us more conference opponents. So get that done. All right, moving on. We've got rivalry week this week. And this is why Thanksgiving is always my favorite holiday over Christmas. Well, New Year's is right up there too for this same reason, but... We just get nonstop football, right? So you pig out on Thursday. You've usually got like 
some NFL games that day, obviously the NFL games that day, and then usually got like one college football game that day. This year, I think we got Ole Miss, we got the Egg Bowl this year, right? Ole Miss, Mississippi State is the Thursday game. Then Friday, there's always college football football games, especially the last, you know, couple years, right? Usually get the Apple Cup on Friday, Washington, Washington State. This year, that game was mediocre, but the last three years, the, that was a ranked matchup all three times. Those were good games. Right, we this year we got Virginia, Virginia Tech. I've already told you that's for the division in the ACC Coastal. That's a big deal. That's a big game. That's going to be one of the games I'm watching Friday, and then uh, Saturday this this year we've got you know a lot of good games. Obviously the Iron Bowl's big again this year, and you got your traditional rivalries. There's not it's not as sexy as a rivalry weekend as we've had in the past as far as like big ranked matchups and hype and. And that got me thinking about digging back. I wanted to see what some of the biggest rivalry weekends we've had were. Obviously, every rivalry weekend's intense, right? Like, Florida State and Florida are playing this year. That's a big deal to all those fans. Nationally, though, Florida State's not that good, and Florida is, so nationally, it's not the biggest rivalry, right? Obviously, Ole Miss and Mississippi State is a huge rivalry every year, but, you know, they're not ranked this year. It's not going to get a lot of national prominence, right? So every year, rivalry week is insane because it means so much to the fans, but let's talk about some years where on top of that insanity, the national hype and what was on the line was crazy. Now, one year that initially comes to mind is 1997. 1997, you had number 11, Washington State, playing Washington on the same day as number 2, Michigan, versus number 4, Ohio State, and number 1, Florida State, versus number 10, Florida. Here's why these games were super important, right? Florida State was number 1, headed towards a national title, Right? Well, guess what? They get upset by Florida that year. That was an epic Florida State-Florida game, right? And the Florida State defense couldn't cover Jacquez Green at the end of the game, which cost them, and uh, Fred Taylor also had a monster game that, that, that day, right? So Florida gets the upset. Not really an upset upset. Um, Florida was really good that year. Uh, Florida State was just undefeated and ranked number one. And that cost Florida State a national championship, without a doubt. Now, that meant that Michigan, who was number two, they beat Ohio State, right? This game, Charles Woodson runs a, a punt back to seal the Heisman for himself, and they head out to the Rose Bowl. Now, because Florida State lost, it put some other teams in contention for the national championship, right? Tennessee got back in it, playing Nebraska in the Orange Bowl, but also Washington State, they beat Washington. They go to the Rose Bowl, and they play number one Michigan. Now, if they would have won that game, it's unlikely that they would have gotten a share of the national championship crown. But Florida State losing really set up Michigan to have this national championship in 1997. So, Michigan fans, this was your last national championship, and you should be thanking Florida and Florida State for making that happen. Because if Florida State beats Florida, they probably still go to the Sugar Bowl or wherever, maybe the Orange Bowl. They would have played Nebraska, and the winner of that game would have been a de facto national championship. It wouldn't matter what Michigan did. But because Nebraska played Tennessee, who was three, and Michigan, because the Rose Bowl tie-ins, had to play Washington State, I think that, yeah, 1997, we had a split national title, right, between Washington State and Michigan. I mean, not uh, between Nebraska and Michigan. Sorry, not Washington State. Um, I kind of give that year to Michigan. I think they were the best team when it was all said and done. But also... Nebraska played the tougher bowl game against the higher-ranked team, so interesting. Anyway, 2006, big, big-time rivalry weekend because you had the game of the century, right? Ohio State-Michigan, the year where they were number one versus two, all the hype. 
winner of that game clearly going to the national title game and then we also have teams you know thinking there should have been a rematch maybe so the winner of that game is definitely going maybe even the loser and we got a classic right one of the best ohio state michigan games of all time was that day and then in the rest of the country, you had number five, Arkansas, versus number eight, LSU, LSU won, which got them the Sugar Bowl berth instead of Arkansas, so that was a big game that mattered. USC was number three, playing number six, Notre Dame. Remember, USC's trying to get back into number two spot after this Ohio State-Michigan game. So USC beat Notre Dame pretty good that day. You know, that was back the John David Booty days, Dwayne Jarrett, and Notre Dame, you know, had Brady Quinn still. That's when that rivalry was at its peak a little bit, at least recently. Now, you had number 15, Georgia Tech, playing Georgia. And Georgia gets the big upset here, which I, which was fun to watch. Was important. Remember, this Georgia Tech team had Calvin Johnson. This Georgia Tech team would go on to lose to Wake Forest the next week, which would allow Wake Forest into the Orange Bowl. But Georgia Tech was kind of the team in the ACC that year, other than Wake Forest. And then they get upset by their rival Georgia on a year where they're better than Georgia on paper, right? So that was a big win for Georgia. They get the upset over Calvin Johnson and Georgia Tech. And then you had number four, Florida, versus Florida State. Florida State almost gets an upset like Georgia did, but they just couldn't get it done, right? Obviously, I have huge ties to the Florida State-Florida rivalry. Again, going to be giving out a ticket away to that game this weekend, so, so keep listening. But that week, I remember, I remember, I'm a sixth grader, so this is one of the first real Florida State-Florida games I remember watching, like, every play, like, play-by-play. Play. And... Florida State had no business being in it. Remember, this is the future national champions and Florida Gators right here. But Florida State found a way to keep this game really, really close. Their defense was playing well. Their offense made just barely enough plays to kind of score some points. And I remember when it got to 21-14, to which was your final score, Florida kicks off to Florida State, and Florida State runs it all the way back to tie the game, which is crazy because the Florida State offense was pretty bad in 2006, and it was like, holy cow, we just tied the game up, and there wasn't a ton of time left. Well, they review the play, and they find out, I want to say it was Patrick Peterson, was the number 21, was the guy returning it for Florida State maybe, and it looks like you know his pinky toe is out of bounds at like the 40-yard line, so they take it off the board, and... Florida State ends up losing 21-14, to 14, but a really cl a closer game than it should have been, right? Anyway, moving down, 2013 was a big-time rivalry, rivalry week, right? You had number three, Ohio State versus Michigan. Michigan wasn't ranked, but this game was a shootout, remember? And Ohio State's trying to stay alive for the national title race because Alabama was one, Florida State was two. We might have three undefeated teams. Who's going to get in? And they have a shootout with Michigan. There was a huge brawl in that game, if you remember, like, every Michigan and Ohio State player got in a pretty big fight. It's like three or four players got suspended. It was it was one of the bigger fights we've had as far as a number of players involved in a while, right? We also had, this isn't a rivalry, but you had number five, Missouri, versus number 21, Texas A&M that day. Missouri wins that game. That puts them in the SEC championship game, right? Texas A&M had Johnny Manziel. That was a good game. Clemson was number six, playing number 10, South Carolina. Uh, Clemson's only loss going into that game was against the future national champion Florida State, but Steve Spurrier just had Dabo's number, and they were able to pull that one out. Those Clemson-South Carolina games for about three, four years there were really good. Uh, South Carolina won most of them with Steve Spurrier, but those were good games. And then you had number six Oklahoma State playing number 17 Oklahoma. This game was a really cla good classic game. Oklahoma pulls it out by throwing a touchdown to, was I think Ace Sanders, or not Ace Sanders, what was it? Saunders, the receiver's name was Saunders, 
and they win that game, which puts them in the Sugar Bowl, and they were able to actually get an upset over Alabama in that Sugar Bowl. And then the, the biggest game that day that meant everything was number one Alabama versus number four Auburn. You know it, the kick six game, the game that put Auburn in the SEC championship, and then the national championship, the game that sent Alabama, gave them their first loss in like almost two years or something like that. Or, or they were two-time defending champions, and that cost them a shot at a third Right, so it's Auburn, Florida State in the title game instead of, you know, Alabama. Alabama goes to that Sugar Bowl, like I said, and Oklahoma actually beats them. So that was a big time rivalry week, big time. Uh, 2015, number three Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma wins that game to secure a playoff spot. Right, they were the four seed that year. Then you had Notre Dame playing Stanford. Notre Dame thought they were going to get in the playoff that year, but they lose on a field goal to Stanford. That was an epic game. Remember Will Fuller going off for Notre Dame. Then you also got McCaffrey going off for Stanford. Right, that, that was a really good game. And Notre Dame lost, and that cost them a shot at the playoff that year. You had number eight, Ohio State, playing number 10, Michigan. And Ohio State just thumps Michigan. Right, and this is a really good example of the point I've been making about the playoff. Ohio State finished 11-1. They're only lost to Michigan State in a weird sloppy game in the rain at home. Michigan State wins the Big Ten at 12-1. They go to the playoff. Ohio State was very good in 2015. That 2015 Ohio State team was better than Oklahoma, who I just talked about, who got in the playoff. And if they play Michigan State again, they probably beat them 8 out of 10 times. Michigan State just got lucky. We all know Ohio State at 11-1 was more deserving of Oklahoma as far as like who's more talented. We know that they would have put up a way better fight against Alabama with their roster, with their coaching, than Michigan State did. Michigan State got beat 31 or 38 to nothing against Bama. But it didn't matter, right? They picked the one-loss conference champion, Oklahoma, and you know the head-to-head in the Big Ten champion, Michigan State, over Ohio State. It didn't matter that Vegas had Ohio State favored against a lot of those teams. It didn't matter that we all knew their roster was just better. They didn't get in. And that's why I think, you know, Alabama's not going to get in this year without help. Um, But anyway, and then the other game we had that year, Ole Miss was 18, playing number 21, Mississippi State. 2014 and 15 was fun because the Egg Bowl was nationally ranked for the first time in a while. You know, both teams ranked in 14 and in 15. I think in 15, Ole Miss pretty much handled Mississippi State. Prescott couldn't get anything going. They kind of had like, I want to say like a 14 to 17 point lead most of the game. Mississippi State made it close, but Ole Miss ran away with it. So... Anyway, those are some of my favorite rivalry weekends that I can remember. I was going to go through like some of my favorite rivalry games, right? Like Florida State, Florida, but you know, that game isn't nationally relevant this year, so I didn't want to go off on too many tangents on that game. And then, I mean, the Iron Bowl's big again, so you could talk about some really good recent Iron Bowls, right? Obviously 2013, like I said, 2014 was good. 2010 Iron Bowl was awesome, right? That's when Alabama got up 24 to nothing and Cam Newton leads Auburn back. They win, they go to the, and win the national title. And they wouldn't have been able to do that without that victory. So that was a big deal, right? Obviously, 2017 was a big deal. Auburn wins. But then Alabama still gets back in the playoff and wins the national title. And here we are again at the midst of another big Iron Bowl. It is The Iron Bowl is definitely big, one of the bigger rivalries this decade, right, of the 2010s, where they've both been ranked and had a lot on the line going into that game. So excited to see another all, uh, Iron Bowl. Obviously, like I said, Alabama needs to thump Auburn to have a shot, and hopefully that doesn't mess with their head, right? When you think, we don't just have to beat this team, we have to annihilate this team. 
it makes you play differently versus you're in a game just to win the game. But hopefully, if anyone can coach through that, it's Nick Saban, right? So we'll see how things go there. Okay, finally, let me get into this ticket giveaway. So went on the Big Three Roll Up podcast last night, and you might have you might be listening because you heard my rant on there, and you found me via them. Shout out to Big Three Roll Up, right? Especially TJ for getting me on there. But basically, I have an extra ticket to the Florida State Florida game this weekend. So obviously, you've got to be local. The only way to go to this game and get this ticket is you've got to show up on that game day. You can come meet me and TJ of Big Three Roll Up at the tailgate that we'll be at, and that's where we will give you the ticket. And then obviously, you got to sit by us. So if a Gator fan ends up winning this, just know you're going to be by some Knowles. But you know, most likely, you'll get to rub it in our face. This victory you'll have, but. If Florida State does block the miracle, I it, I will rub it in your face, right? And how can you blame me, right? But most likely that'll be you doing the rubbing if you're a Gator fan. And I I'm not being biased, right? I'm, I'm drawing names out of a hat, so I'm not like catering to Knowles fans, Gator fans. You don't have to be a fan of either, right? If you're just a fan of college football and you want to go to the game, let me know. It, it, tweet that at me. If you tweet at me that you're not a fan of either team, you're just a college football fan and want to see the game, I'll actually give you a second entry just for that. Um, but there's more than one way to get two entries. So I've already explained it on Big Three Roll Up, but if you didn't listen to that, let me explain. In order to enter into the contest to win the ticket, you can you can have three things that you can do. I guess I just made a fourth, but there's three things you can do. If you do one of these things, you get an entry. If you do two of them, you get two entries. If you do all three of them, you get three entries. The number one thing you can do is follow me on Twitter. And also, if you follow me on Twitter and you want to be entered in the conference, you should probably tweet me because that way I don't, you know, know if you're just some guy in Georgia who's following because you like the show, right? Shout out to you. Maybe you heard Big Three roll up last night and you just wanted to follow my show because you liked what I had to say, or if you're actually entering in the contest. So follow me and tweet me something, right? And then the second thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast. Oh, by the way, the Twitter, sorry, is let's talk underscore CFB. And the, the picture is the same picture for my podcast, right? It's me as a little baby wearing Florida State stuff. So following the Twitter will get you one entry. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, whichever one you prefer. Screenshot that and tweet that at me. And if you want your third entry, you can like the Facebook page. Again, it's just Let's Talk College Football on Facebook. It's got the same little profile picture. And the header photo is a picture of Vince Young running in the game-winning touchdown against USC in the... 2006 national title game so if you do all three of those things you will have your name thrown in the hat three times also i guess i just made up a fourth one if you tweet at me with those things and you also say and you can't be lying about this right if you say hey i'm actually not a florida state or a florida fan and i just want to go to the game as a college football fan to hang out i'm actually going to throw your name in an additional time right so that's how you win this contest I can't give away the specific section on here, but let's just say these are very good tickets. We're about anywhere from 10 to 15 rows up, and it's about the 50-yard line. So these are good tickets to this game. So that's how you enter your name into win the contest, and I'm going to announce the winner about midday to late afternoon Friday. So you have up until then to enter and then I'm going to let you know. I'll DM you. You'll confirm that, yeah, you can go. And you please make sure you can go. Don't tell me you're going. And then on Saturday, you end up not going 
because then I probably won't have enough time to DM another person to get them there in time, okay? So make sure you get that done. And then we'll tell you where to meet us on Saturday morning or whenever you show up and you can get the ticket and then we'll go to the game together. So anyway, hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and then enjoys a great rivalry weekend. I know I am. Even though I don't know if my team's going to get it done, I'm still going to have a blast going up to Gainesville for a college football game, rivalry, watching all the other games, eating good food, good tailgate, good company. So hope everyone enjoys the weekend, and I'll see you guys next week, and we can talk about Championship Saturday, Conference Championships. All right.